welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 323, recorded July 26th, 2020. Today we're dipping our toes into the UK comic strips. Uh, These are in the IDW Volume 2, if you're following along through those. Mm -hmm. And we're doing stories 22, 23, and 24. Right. Uh, I'll be doing the uh, first and last from a synopsis standpoint. And, ooh, what excellent stories these are. Yeah. These are the... uh, these are all written by the same guy, and uh, these are his last three books. Oh, wrote. is it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, who who is the writer? Because I didn't know. Uh, uh, I know I know Vincent who did the art, but Alcazar. Oh, I thought he was an artist. Oh, like, he's he? the writer. Mm, okay. Maybe. Uh, let's see. Oh no, he's the artist. You're right. Okay. Uh, nope, I don't know who the writer is. Yeah. So these so, are the last ones that he works on. <laughs> okay, and then Carlos Pino was involved in art yeah. too somehow. Yeah, so I think it's the last ones for either one of them. Okay, now the artwork is pretty good. Um, I, I mean, yeah, it's pretty good, you know. Except that the Enterprise looks like garbage, but other than that, I mean, the characters look pretty good. So artwork is good, but uh, boy, the stories are just really the phrase lazy writing comes to mind but hey again audience kids there you sure. go you don't actually have to explain anything you just have to say hey look at this new colorful thing that popped up out of nowhere right. for you to be interested in and then we'll jump to a few other interesting things that make no sense just enjoy <laughs> yeah now especially the third story the third story is the one that smacks the most of this this was a waste of paper paper <laughs> <laughs> only in that how it ends and the way it ends. i don't want to spoil it for anybody but the way it ends it's like we got you you read it <laughs> <laughs> yeah you but it's thought, time, you it's time it was travel somewhere it's time travel isn't that great yeah, it's a weird time travel and it doesn't make sense okay that's fine but it's star trek and so that's why we we love it so Oh, yeah, I found stuff to enjoy in all of it. Good. Right, and they they announced a new Adult Swim show? Did they? Uh, they did. Uh, Star Trek. I texted you about it, didn't I? I didn't. Adult Swim? I haven't heard of that. I know Prodigy is a, that's it. a kid show. No, that's a kid show. Oh, okay. That one, the, that's oh, a, it's, a, it's on the Cartoon Network. It's on Nickelodeon. Oh, Nickelodeon. Okay, sorry. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So that's on Nickelodeon, yeah. right. Okay. Um, right. So we'll see what that's all about. All I know is the name. Did you that's, find out anything else? That's all they've released so far. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay, we'll see. Okay, so should we start? Yes, please. Let's do it. Okay, so this is storyline number 22. 
Um, and this is from originally from TV21 and Joe 90, of course, issues 91 through 94. So this isn't a big, long one, uh, not too many issues, uh, weekly installments. And these ran from June 19th, 1971 to July 10th, 1971. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, Carlos Pino and Vincente Alcazar are artists. We're not sure who wrote it, although uh, whoever wrote it, uh, you know, it's great to have a Star Trek story, but not the most intelligent one I've ever read. Okay, starting off with issue 91. The Transgalactic Zoological Federation dispatches an automated craft to remote planet Nova 13. It lands and deploys a robot that walks around the planet, capturing and transmitting data about the flora and fauna of the planet. The Enterprise is stationary at a point closer to Earth, where it is relaying the robot's finding to the zoological scientists on Earth. Things are going smashing! until the robot walks right into what looks like a poorly disguised tiger pit. Ohura reports contact is lost with the robot. An unnamed admiral gets Kirk on the line and asks him if he would be a peach and go and see what happened to the robot. Kirk says no prob. He big chief and sets course for Nova 13. When they arrive, Kirk and Scotty take a shuttlecraft down to the planet's surface with expectations of being Maytag repairmen and being really bored on their little jaunt down to the planet. Meanwhile, a huge humanoid hand with four fingers and an opposable thumb grabs the automated spacecraft that brought the robot to the planet in a tight grip and squeezes. End of issue 91. 92. Kirk lands the shuttlecraft near the landing coordinates of the automated ship, but they can't find it. They find burnt rocks and brush at the expected coordinates, which proves the ship did land there, but no ship. They broaden their search and come across part of the ship's landing gear. Something destroyed the automated craft? But what could do that? The robot's report stated he only saw small insect life. Suddenly, the two find a gigantic, hairy humanoid with one cyclopean eye rising up from a gully. Scotty and Kirk are like little green plastic soldiers next to this monstrosity. They run, but their little legs cannot get beyond the giant's reach. Just as they think they will die an agonizing death, they hear a strange thupa, thweet thippa sound that stops the cyclops in its tracks. A very strange-looking blue alien that looks like an upside-down raindrop with two red eyes, two skinny arms, and two skinny legs is blowing a horn that is controlling the cyclops. Thinking the blue alien is intelligent, Kirk pulls out the tubular-shaped universal translator to try to communicate with it. The alien apparently thinks the translator is a weapon because it uses its horn to knock it out of Kirk's hands and damage it. More of the blue aliens come out, and some of them are armed with little teeny tiny short bows and arrows. Kirk and Scotty realize that they are surrounded between the cyclops behind them and the blue aliens in front of them, 
and they really can't make it back to the shuttle in time. End of issue 92. Issue 93. Kirk and Scotty are trapped. Without the Universal Translator, they can't talk their way out of this situation. Kirk fakes a fall and lands on top of the Universal Translator, which he deftly tucks into his pants. When he gets back up, no one notices the new bulge in his pants as they are marched back to the village of the Blue Aliens. After they are locked up in a room, Kirk removes the device from his pants and hands it to Scotty, who sets to repairing it. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Spock gets emotionally perturbed that the landing party has not contacted them. Uhura says the captain would have called them if they needed them. Unfortunately, neither of them seem to have thought to bring a communicator with them. Meanwhile, on the planet, Scotty is not quite finished fixing the translator when the blue aliens enter the jail cell and moves them to what appears to be a judge's chambers. The blue guys talk a while and point to Kirk and Scotty. Though they can't understand a word of what is being said, Kirk thinks they have been sentenced to death, so with nothing to lose, they tackle their way out of the building and head for the tree line. The blue flute player guy plays loudly, and the Cyclops guys outside rise up to heed the call. End of issue number 93. Issue 94. Four of the Giants move to intercept the escaped prisoners. Kirk and Scotty figure out the purple fruit with a pungent smell is masking their human smell, which makes it harder for the Giants to locate them. Like zombie guts on the walking dead, Kirk and Scotty cover themselves in the fruity, smelly pulp and make their way to the shuttlecraft. The Cyclops and Blue Aliens spot them and close in fast on the shuttle. Kirk is able to gun the engines and ascend out of the closest giant's reach just in time. On their way back to the ship, Kirk tells Spock to prepare to break orbit. Kirk wants to get as far away from Nova 13 as he can, as fast as he can. On their way back, they are contacted by the president of the Transgalactic Zoological Society, who has read Kirk's report. He says their story of primitive flute-playing aliens that control giant cyclops creatures is sensational, but they are very disappointed that they did not take any pictures. Annoyed, Kirk and Scotty just shake their heads. The end. Do you like the giants? Uh, as soon as I saw them, I could not help but think about the original episodes of Lost in Space, which also had a giant cyclops. And I did build the model multiple times that had the, the, the cyclops guy with the rock over his head and then had the uh, chariot, the space chariot that the Robinsons rode around in, the the early precursor to the modern SUV. And uh, I just, I, it's just, there you go. It just, just brought back memories of childhood and building models. See, there you go. It's a crossover, and you didn't even know it. I didn't know it. It was the same Cyclops. So I actually looked up what the Cyclops looked like, because it's been a long time since I've seen Lost in Space. And sure enough, the Cyclops in Lost in Space looks pretty much like the Cyclops 
in this comic. But oh my god, it's like it's like we're. <sighs> It's a long time ago since I've seen it, and the costume... So I'm looking at a still of some guy in a costume, in a Cyclops mm-hmm. costume. And, oh my God, this thing is horrible. It looks, it looks as bad as some of the old Doctor Who aliens. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, it just looks so mangy. Because it's got hair on it and stuff, and uh, it just looks poor. Oh. Uh... Yeah, so the Cyclops in the comic book is a lot more human-like. I mean, because the close-up of the fingers as it's crushing the the ship, the automated ship, I mean, it looks very human-like, except for, you know, the the nails look a little bit more, a little more claw-like. But other than that, it looks like a human hand. Right. Well, it did remind me of Lost in Space, Mm because I I did not uh, watch that show. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did remind me of a cover of an issue that we haven't read yet of Gold Key. Oh, so really? uh, Gold Key number 53 has a Cyclops holding some of the crew members in his hand, like holding it up to his face. And, <laughs> I mean, he looks exactly the same with the bushy hair and beard, right. one eyeball, giant. So, uh Yeah. So yeah. that that was what I kept thinking. I was like, "Is is this the same story?" Right. But uh, I don't think it is. I think it's just one of those weird coincidences where everybody yeah. loves Cyclops. Right. And isn't didn't this whole idea of a giant Cyclops come from the Odyssey, or um, yeah, one or of the those. Iliad, the Odyssey, right. the Iliad? I don't know. But yeah. one of those things I think had a Cyclops, big giant Cyclops guy. So maybe all these things later is aping that original ancient story. Anyway. The Cyclops, as played by John Goodman in uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, I remember the movie. But he played a Cyclops? Yeah, he has an eye patch. Oh, and they called him the Cyclops. No. Was the, that it? No, no, no. The, the okay. Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is the Odyssey told in in comedic Oh, or a oh really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's a retelling. So there's a lot of what happens in that movie that that kind of uh, follows along with the Odyssey, including right. a Cyclops character that that kills them or you know kills some of them. Yeah. Of course, this is very much a uh, that very much was a Depression era story, huh? Yeah. One of okay. my favorite movies. So. I, I told that to the kids the other day, and they were like, we've never heard you talk about it ever. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I'm going to have to watch it with the kids. I liked it, but I only saw it once. So I, obviously I didn't like it as much as you. But. Um, I, I have watched it so many times. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's uh, like Jaws is for uh, your wife. Just If it's on, I'm like, all right, well, that's what, that's what we're watching. But I guess that since we don't watch regular TV anymore, uh, you know, it's all streaming since the kids have right. been alive. That that they don't, they haven't ever experienced that. Oh, it's just on, so you watched it. You didn't actually <laughs> click on it and say play. Exactly. You didn't explicitly think ahead of time to select that particular piece of entertainment. Right. Yes. So I guess that's a little telling that uh, maybe I don't like it as much as I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So why don't they have phasers? Uh, what what about the commu- what about a communicator? Okay, so the only device they seem to have 
because they leave the shuttlecraft to look around, and the only device they have is a universal translator? Yeah, they don't need anything, huh? Well, okay, but they don't seem to have a communicator. At least they never, they never seem to. Otherwise, they'd be able to contact the ship. So you go to an unknown planet. Well, pretty much unknown. I mean, you've got some reports from the, from the automated robot. But for the most part, you don't know about this planet. And you leave the ship, the shuttle, mm-hmm. with only a universal translator, which would only be useful if you came upon intelligent life forms, which there is no report of anything like that on this planet. So you left the ship with a universal translator, but without a communicator and without a phaser. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. just wonder about the logic of this. <laughs> yeah, well, it would have not been conducive to the story to bring it all along. Exactly. Or a camera, obviously, since that's what <laughs> the, the guy at the end complained about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Scotty, and Scotty didn't seem to have any tools. I mean, wasn't he going to fix the... Uh... Fix the robot. And, they, they expected and, to find the, the landing robot. ship or whatever. Yeah, whatever. So uh, they don't ever talk about the landing ship after the the giant destroys it. They don't ever say about let's go fix that. It's just they're just worried about the robot, right? Right. Yep. But it seems like I mean the timing of the panels. It seems like the automated ship, which is probably the uplink from the robot, so the robot transmits to the to the ship, and then the ship has, has more power to it, so it probably does the uplink to the Enterprise that was far was supposed was originally far off. It looks like the timing is by the time they got there, and maybe they left the ship in the shuttle. That's when the uh, automated ship gets crushed. Right. So, can we talk about that automated ship for a second? Sure. So, I'll be honest with you. I I read this book mm-hmm. and. Uh, I did not catch that that was an automated ship. I thought it was a joystick, and I'm a and I'm reading stick. it going. I'm like, oh man, somebody's about to shoot the Enterprise with this like you know red oh, joystick. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and I and I kept waiting for you know turn the page, and I'm like, all right, so now there's going to be some missile locked or something, and then mm-hmm. nothing ever happens. And to be honest, I kind of forgot about it until uh, until. You know, you were talking about it, and I'm like, "Oh, that's what that was." <laughs> oh, all this time you thought that was a joystick. Well, I never because it has, aside from the very first page yeah. and that page, yeah, the ship is not mentioned at all. No. So I literally, out of sight, out of mind, um, never thought about it again. Right. <laughs> so I saw it on the first page, and I remember thinking, "Oh, that's cool. The, the landing ship is different. You know, with the red and the racing stripe." <laughs> the, the whatever that checkered, yeah, like checkered pattern, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of a cool ship. And then later, I thought it was a joystick of, uh, you know, a, a missile lock or something, and right. then it never mentions it. So I never thought about it until until now. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, it, it, it it's a very unique design. It is, and um, it kind of reminded me of something, but I wasn't sure what exactly. And then I was thinking Sputnik. So I went out and, and did some searches, and um, it's not Sputnik, because that was the little, the little Soviet satellite thing. satellite thing, the Soyuz. So the Soviet Soyuz spacecraft that linked with uh, the Apollo capsule in the early 70s, mm. which is about the time frame of this, when this was produced, um, 
it the Soyuz ship ha- the front of it, the top part is a round ball, round ball shaped, and then it goes back into something that's a little like a cylinder, and then you've got the engines. So, but of course the Soyuz did have uh, solar panels, so that's not there. Um, so, and it doesn't have landing legs like the uh, automated probe. But so, eh, a little bit, you know, may, may, they made it. The artist might have got some ins- inspiration from the Soyuz sure. spacecraft. Um, yeah. Speaking of inspiration, where do you think you got inspiration for that robot? robot? <laughs> <laughs> danger, danger, Will Robinson. Uh, yeah, that and uh, Roby whatever the, robot? the robot's name was from Roby. Is that what is that? So Robbie the Robbie robot, the robot. Is from Forbidden Planet, Correct. and Robot is from Lost in Space. The robot is from Lost in Space, exactly. So I always get those confused. <clears throat> I, for my whole childhood, I thought that the robot in Lost in Space was Robbie. Well, yeah, definitely. Well, the they're name, very similar. Very cheesy, cheesy sounding name. It should yep. be that one. Whereas Forbidden Planet, they they kind of taken it serious. Yeah, Forbidden Planet is is it ta- they take it's very Star Trek like, um, in that they kind of take themselves seriously. Um, I mean, you have Liam Neeson and you're, I mean, not Neil, Liam Neeson. <laughs> you have uh, Leslie uh, Leslie Nielsen, right? And he's taking it seriously, so you know this is a serious show when even he is serious. Uh, exactly. Before he became famous for his comedic chops. Right. Um, he played a very serious Captain Kirk-like um, precursor. Exactly, and he was even a romancer. Yep. Now I, I always like him. Oh yeah, he's a great actor. Great actor. Um, <laughs> and and you know, when he got older, he was still doing some comedic movies. Eh, not that great, but mm-hmm. you know, when he was still, you know. Still in his later prime, the airplane movies and those kind of things. Right. Uh, Police Squad. Excellent stuff. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Naked Gun. Naked (laughs) Gun. Exactly. But he was really great as uh, Captain... I forgot his name. What what his name was in in Forbidden Planet. But he was great in Forbidden Planet. Very believable. So, you know, they always talk about him... uh, in airplane when that uh-huh. was kind of his like turning Breakout. point when he when he went from trying to be a serious actor to being a comedic actor mm-hmm. um but then there was a show called the creature wasn't nice <laughs> which is a play on alien right okay and, uh, i had never heard of it i never um, heard of it my wife watched it when she was a child and had nightmares about it and she would, and she didn't. She didn't know what it was, but she was telling me about it. She's like, "Yeah, it's this like monster, this alien. He comes out and he starts singing about how he's going to eat them." And I had nightmares for singing. weeks about this. Yeah, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" So I had to look it up, and uh, yeah, found out that it was called "The Creature Wasn't a Nice" originally, but now you can only find it as "Naked Space" because after he became they really big it. on uh, on Naked Gun, they renamed it. Okay, well, I gotta so, find that. Yeah, well, I own it. I, we we bought the DVD, and I was like, "All right, sit down. You're you're. It's going to be pretty traumatic to watch this again." <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, they're trying to ape Alien, but it's very super low budget. Uh, it has Shirley from Laverne and Shirley. Okay. Um, and uh, 
and it's it's so bad. It's one of those so bad that it's actually really good. Well, but yeah, we gotta yeah, see it. Indeed, when the alien tries to kill him, he starts singing about how he's going to eat their arms and eat their spleens, and <laughs> it's this whole song and dance thing. It's it's by is far the whole the thing a musical? No, no, no. Just that one. It's part. just that one. That's just, just that one song. Okay. <laughs> it's it. It was funny is that it's the funniest part in the whole movie, but it's the one part that traumatized my wife as a child. So. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> that's too bad. But yeah, uh, yeah, you should definitely watch it. Okay, I got, I'm sure some streaming service has it. It's got to be. It's it. got to be so cheap, so so cheap to rent and and play somewhere with all the but streaming it's services so we have. That I don't think anybody ever even bothered. Okay. Yeah, look so, it up. You look, Creature wasn't nice or naked. Naked space. It's you might be able to find it at one or the other. So I liked how uh, the flute guy, the flute teardrop guy, which was a very good uh, description. Because I would not have used teardrop or raindrop, uh, uh, but uh, but when you said it, yes, that's exactly what they look like. Uh, but I did like how he beats them with the, his flute. <laughs> it's a very odd design. Yeah, but he just starts wailing on him, and you actually have that shot of him like hitting Scotty in the back, which I thought was actually pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, they're. What I like about the design is it's very different. Of the creatures? The the creatures, the, the, yeah. the blue aliens. It's very different from anything I've ever seen before. At least I can't think of anything that's like that. Right. Uh, well, actually, maybe Monster Zinc, the little Billy Crystal oh, yeah, character. But he has two eyes. These only have... I mean, these have two These eyes. These have two though. eyes, but... Yeah. But he doesn't. Mike was out. Oh, that's right. He... Oh, yeah, yeah, so Mike is the closest thing. So um, I thought it was an original design, rather ridiculous looking, but yeah, whatever, that's fine. They're like little little guys that, you know, there's not the, there's a lot of them with their stupid little bows and arrows and, and flutes and things. So they're, right. they're, they're not terribly sophisticated, but apparently they're sophisticated enough to be able to get these uh, huge Cyclops guys to uh, do what they tell them to do. Anyway. Right. Yeah, it was cute. I thought they were. I thought they looked cool. They almost. I mean, I can't tell if they're supposed to be clear. But now that you've said that they look like raindrops, now I'm like, are those little like, you know, they have like they're blue with little spots of light blue. So now I'm wondering, is that supposed to be like they're supposed to be translucent and those are like little air bubbles inside of the water, or do you oh, think it's supposed to that's be interesting. skin coloring? Yeah, I don't know. Because I took it as skin coloring at first, but now you've got the whole water thing in my head. And now I'm like, <laughs> they were little amoebas. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, I think it's I think you were right the first time. Mm. Skin colorings, right? And one of the guys has kind of like a yarmulke on, the like the leader guy. So it's a it's like a black. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a black uh, circle of cloth with a little red pattern on it or something yeah that matches their flag or their little symbol of the oh, red triangle it? with the oh little... right 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 so so the judges right so the judges stand where or maybe these are the elders whatever they are yeah good point so it's got a little red like a like a black circle with the red almost like a starfleet swoosh uh, right in it huh. a little with That's a little funny. triangle yeah, but what a bunch of poop heads. I mean, they wouldn't even give them a chance to use the translator. Jeesh. They didn't know what it was. They thought it was a bomb. It's a bomb. It's a bomb. Anyway. 
So I thought it was very interesting in the beginning where uh, Scotty actually brings up the idea that uh, you're the captain of the ship and I'm the chief engineer. Why are we going down to the planet as opposed <laughs> to some support team? <laughs> it's like... No, he's, he's like, why am I going down and not just Scotty and McCoy? What? Why is it not... He's, he's, he's wondering to himself. He doesn't say this out loud. Okay. But he's wondering why he's joining Kirk and not just Scotty and McCoy, or not just uh, Spock and McCoy like normal. He's wondering why he's going and not the terrific trio. Huh. Never mind, it's a bad, it's a bad joke. The terrific trio, yes. Yes, because that's who normally would go to. <clears throat> exactly. And Scotty's like, why am I included? Why am I in trouble? Well, Scotty goes too. Sometimes he's the fourth wheel or right. fourth spoke, whatever. Um, <laughs> anyway, but I, I thought they were actually kind of the, the author was trying to point out, like, hey, you know, why don't why don't we just send some 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 repair guys down? Why are we doing this? Yeah. Which is why you said that they're acting like Maytag repairmen. Kind of, kind of. And then Kirk just says, I just have a feeling that we've got to do it. It's like, okay, whatever. That's why I left the phasers and everything at the house. <laughs> exactly. Because I have I just, this feeling. I have a feeling that we got to handle this and that we shouldn't be armed. Okay. <laughs> so uh, speaking of that little shuttle ride, uh, mm-hmm. the shuttle, what would you think? Looks nice with that well, red, red bottom. The shuttle looks fine. It's the Enterprise that looks bad. Let's focus on the shuttle for a second because there's one thing that really bothered me. Oh, okay. Let's yeah, do tell. The registration number NCC-170-7. Uh oh. run out of run out of room there. Where's the other one? Okay, cuz I I'm looking at I'm looking at a shot of it and it's correct. Uh NCC-1701 Dash seven. Go to the page before. Okay, I'll go to the page. Oh, it's yep, the they screwed giant that up. Shuttle, and it's missing the one. Yeah, so that's 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 sloppy. <laughs> He's like, "Dang it, ran out of room." Eh, nobody will notice. Now, so, at least at least they called it the Galileo. Sure. So it is the Galileo Seven. So they got that much right, but they just <laughs> they, they they couldn't get the registration number right in that panel yet they get it correct in the in the next panel in the smaller panel yeah yeah, yeah. No, that's true that's true good point point. and then of course in the background you see the enterprise uh which never looks good never looks accurate yeah it looks pretty funky throughout this book yeah especially when the uh you know the bottom part of the saucer dish the 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 lowest portion <clears throat> which is usually like a little dome kind of thing, um, is just a big, huge red dome in most of the drawings of the Enterprise. That's particularly odd. But And the uh, the deflector, you know, the dish thing in the front, the deflector dish, that mm-hmm. seems unusually large. Well, whatever, we could go on all day. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, the big red dot in the middle is so that it looks like a... Uh a bullseye when you look at it from yeah. underneath. <laughs> exactly. Gotta have something to aim at. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But the uh, Galileo does look good. I like that red bottom, which is not on the original. Sheet. No. It's, that's not how it normally is, right? No, of course not. Yeah. But I, I think they're just adding more color. Great. 
I liked it. Yeah, it's uh, it it it's accurate. It's pretty accurate. So they do a good job on the shuttlecraft, except for some of the numbering, the registry number. Um, but the Enterprise is just totally bad. <laughs> yeah. So the whole idea of smearing yourself with something to make you smell, you know, mask your smell. Um, I thought that it immediately brought me back to Walking Dead, uh, in Predator when Dutch covers himself with cool mud, um, uh, the Omega Man remake with Will Smith. He uses bleach to cover up his scent when he goes back to his house. Uh, that probably is not as as good a uh, an example, but um, all these but other all these other things, they got it from this book. They got it from this book. Exactly. Yeah. So what is it that they rub all over them? Uh, some kind of um, pungent fruit. So that the uh, the teardrop the, guys, no, the, the, the cyclops. The cyclops. So the yeah. cyclops couldn't uh, pick up their scent. So I guess they're a part bloodhound. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, when you got nostrils that big, you probably smell pretty good. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how Scotty and Kirk actually figured all this out um, so quickly that that these guys were able to track them due to smell. Right. Yep. Well, he's sniffing really loud. That's what it says. A that ghastly, sniffling, terrifyingly sound. Oh, good point. Good point. So, okay, that's all I have to say about this one. <laughs> oh, by the way, okay, I do have something to say. Kirk's uh, hair is way too blonde. Oh, yeah, it's pretty blonde. It's very blonde. He's very blonde, and he's, Kirk was never that blonde. I mean, light hair, light brown. Yes, agreed with that. But he's got blonde hair. Right. Anything else? I'm just going to say it briefly, and I'll never say it again. The tunic colors are totally wrong. Scotty's got blue, and Kirk has red. They should be swapped. And actually, not even just swapped. I mean, just, <laughs> yes, how could it be, be, how could it be more wrong? <laughs> I mean, how could they have got it more wrong? Nobody has the right colors. Anyway, whatever. All right. You ready? I'm ready. For issue 23... The prison break. Oh, sounds good. And the unexpected hero. Uh, yeah, which is probably the best part of the story. I agree. All right, so the uh, writer unknown, the artist, uh, same as last issue. This came out in uh, TV 21, 95 through 100. And that was between July 17th, 1971 to August 21st, 1971. So the USS Enterprise registration number, as depicted here, NCC-1701B, is flying through space and has a huge explosion in her starboard nacelle. The engineering crew in radiation suits repair the Inferno, but a crew member named Corcoran is struck by some flying debris and his suit is punctured. They get him to McCoy ASAP, yet the diagnosis is not good. And he will require uh, some medical attention at a planet-side hospital for any chance of recovery. Spock finds that the closest planet with both the -the state-of-the-art hospital and ship repair facilities is the prison planet Surtax. They arrive to the prison planet and shuttle down Corcoran, And they start loading up the needed radioactive parts to bring back to the ship. Four prisoners 
see this as their chance to escape. And they use gas grenades uh, to get past their guards, and then they find four crew members that are wearing radiation suits, and they kill them and put on their suits. And then they are able to sneak aboard the rest of the crew members that go back up to the Enterprise. Once they're on the Enterprise, they secretly remove their protective gear, and they're able to capture the bridge crew using phasers. They hold Ahura hostage and take her elsewhere. The leader of the group orders that the replaced damaged reactor core should be dropped onto the prison planet below, killing the cons and the guards. Spock refuses to do so, uh, so the prisoners split up, and two of them go down to the engineering to do it themselves. McCoy, planning to use a hypo to overtake the bridge, sees that the group is splitting up, so he follows the two wearing the protective gear. His hypo will not work, so he switches to actual syringes. The prisoners open the airlock when McCoy confronts them. McCoy stabs one of them in the hand with the needle, and then the other tries to lunge at him, dropping a crowbar just as the doors are opening, and he is sucked out along with the reactor core. But McCoy luckily is able to get to an airlock and shut it out. Or shut the door. The reactor flies into space, but then slams into the Enterprise and explodes. The shaking of the Enterprise is enough to give Kirk and Spock a chance to attack the prisoner on the bridge, and they wrestle the phaser away from him. The final prisoner, who is holding Ahura by phaser point uh, elsewhere in the ship, is knocked out by McCoy using a hypo gun. A shuttle from Surtax arrives, and a lone engineer starts to fix the damage um, to the Enterprise. Kirk watches in horror, knowing that this man will die since he is not wearing enough protection. The man salutes the Enterprise as they leave, and they know that it was Kokorin who gave his life for one final act instead of spending the last of his days dying slowly of radiation poisoning. The end. Cool. So two parts I liked. What? That the McCoy and what? That the guy gave his life? Yes. So the guy at the end, Kokorin, although that is a very oddly spelled name. Um, I wonder if that's a real name. And I've just never heard it before in my entire life. Right. Anyway, the fact that he gave himself up uh, to save his crew, great. And then the fact that McCoy actually ends up being hero. That's great. And just killing everybody. That's what got me. He, he kills those first two people. And he doesn't seem too upset about it. Well, these guys are villainous cads who would gladly kill them. So, right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not a, a McCoy-like thing to do, except for that one Kelvin universe one where they had um, they had Butcher, <laughs> you know. So it 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 was the uh, oh, what's his name? It it it's the it's the more recent version, the more re- recent actor who played McCoy, who is okay. who is a big guy, you know. God, I, I'm really Carl annoyed. Urban. Carl Urban, exactly. So it was the Carl Urban version of McCoy who ends up taking on some Klingons. 
when they were away from the ship. So that was like the only kind of thing where that I recall where McCoy becomes action hero. And that's a little bit more understandable because Carl Urban's kind of a big guy, you know, looks very capable, even though he acts like McCoy, um, where DeForest Kelly was always a a thinner guy. Right. Um, And he never really displayed much in the way of um, aggressiveness unless he really had to. Now, why did you call him the butcher? What was that? Because he's Billy. He, he's Billy the Butcher uh, in The Boys. Carl uh, Urban plays that in The Boys. Gotcha. Which, by the way, the second trailer they did for The Boys season two. Oh, that looks great. Yeah, I never watched season one. Was it good? Oh, yeah, it was great. I, I thoroughly loved it. Huh. Uh, I'll have to watch it. I think you really should, especially given such a DC fan. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, you should really watch it. And I like Carl Urban. He's 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 one of those actors that he's been in so many, so many things, movies. and he's so like, like, good. Forget that he's in them. Yeah, like he was in Judge Dredd. He, he was, was in the Lord of the Rings movies. He was in um, Doom, the original Doom yes. movie. Yes. Yep. Uh, the Rock. He, he was the first person shooter. Yeah, yeah, he's the main character. He's exactly, Doom guy. he was Doom Guy. You you went in there thinking, oh, the Rock's going to be Doom Guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the Vin, uh, the sequel to Pitch Black, or one oh, of the sequels. He's in that, uh, he's in that one with, with Vin. Exactly, Riddick. Right, he's in one of those. He's the bad guy. Okay. Um, and he plays the. He just bounces back and forth between bad guy and good good guy, no problem. And he's always so good. And then he was in Thor. The last Thor movie? Oh, that, oh, I didn't like him in that one. You didn't he's like that character? So, he's so cheesy. He was cheesy. But that's yeah. the way it was written. Uh, right, right. Yeah, where he's like with the shake weights and stuff. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> and then, I love Carl Urban. I, I go see movies just because I find out he's in them. I'm like, well, I gotta watch that. Exactly. Which is why I wanted to watch The Boys. Well, that and many reasons I want to watch The Boys. I, I, haven't, re- I haven't finished the comic book, so... I have the first couple of volumes, and I was wanting to read them first, but yeah. I might just watch the show. It's yeah, and and it's different from it's different from the books, right? I mean, there's some things that are, are the same, but there's a lot of things that are different, and they're very early. I mean, the books go a lot further, of course. So mm-hmm. they've got multiple seasons that they can do here, uh, drawing from from the books. Mm-hmm. So I know enough about. I haven't read all the books. I've just read the, like the first one. Uh, and then I know enough about what happens uh, from YouTube videos. But, oh yeah, it's worthwhile watching. And I think he does a great job as Butcher. All right. Anywho, back to this one. <clears throat> exactly. Uh, let's see. Uh, I kind of like how the guns that the escaped convicts are able to grab from uh, from the prison, are they? they don't look like uh, Starfleet phasers. So I like that. Uh, some variety in the designs. Yeah, they just look like silver pistols. They're like silver pistols, right? A little bit more, a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a standard shape. The handles right. are not so far forward. They're they're back like a like a, like a normal kind of modern day gun. Uh, but so good I- catch on the prescience of. The registry number. I did not notice that. I was saying, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> 1701B. 
And sure where, enough, where did that come from? Yeah, so I'm looking through the whole book, and it's on the first page. It's on the very first page, and yeah. it's the only time it's there. But why? I mean, we had never – at that point, we had never seen a ship with a registry number after the, the numbers, right? Exactly. It was no always, letters. It's always four letters – or four numbers, and that was exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, are they, would, getting, are they getting confused with the registry for the, sh- for the shuttles? That they think there has yeah, to be something maybe. extra there? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but that's like <laughs> – like creepy that they saw the future and like oh i think in star trek 3 they're gonna start putting numbers or letters back here so we should we should go ahead and do that now exactly creepy very creepy very odd and then why is the so if this the first panel shows the explosion of of one of the uh the port nacelle uh in the back but yeah so what's the deal with the pylon with the nacelle pylon it looks like it's all like shiny white and skinny incredible oh that's just coloring <sighs> i didn't it's even a, notice it th- that entire drawing of the enterprise not only is the registry renumber wrong but also at the same time prescient there's nothing good about that drawing of the enterprise nothing nothing i, like it. I thought it looked pretty cool i like the fire and stuff coming out of well, the okay, okay the fire is fine but the accuracy of the drawing is horrible it's got it's it's got a red nipple on the bottom, which is shiny and everything. It's horrible. Sure. The, the proportions of the saucer section, the primary hull, little squished. is wrong. Yeah, it looks like it's it looks like it's like an oval, not round. And then, mm-hmm. I I guess the secondary hull is okay. It's just it's got that big thing on the bottom, the very bottom sweeping forward, kind of like a like a scoop. Oh, anyway, yeah. whatever. I, I don't mm-hmm. know where that came from. Anyway, whatever. I, I, I thought it looked cool. Accurate or not, I thought it was a cool picture. It's not accurate at all. But, yeah, okay, so the fire coming out of the back. I mean, we've never seen damage like that except maybe the Constellation during um, uh, uh, Doomsday, Machine? Doomsday Machine episode, right. Yeah, we never saw damage like that before, so that's kind of cool. It's just kind of odd that a prison would have ship repair facilities. That seems kind yeah, of exactly. odd to me, but eh, whatever. Well, and they don't really do anything except shuttle up the parts. So it's just like, I guess they had the part, not necessarily the facilities. Well, Even well, though they said in dialogue <clears throat> that it, they needed the facilities, but all they really do is shuttle down, pick it up, and then go back up to the ship. And it's the, it's the repair crew from the prison, that's actually going to do the repair work. Oh, right? is it? Okay. Because that's how they—that's how the prisoners were able to get on. I oh, mean, I they, thought they killed some Enterprise people. Ah, uh, I thought they were prison people. Okay. But whatever. Yeah. So it's okay. So <clears throat> you've got one. I think. I think the idea that you've got. One really optimistic leader, <laughs> prisoner, and three lackeys, and they intend to take over a starship, which is populated by 430 physically fit people that have access to phasers. It's like, and this guy, this leader, is so confident. It's like, Jarman, it's like, you're an idiot. How did you think this was ever going to work? Anyway, 
Well, it worked. Uh, they would have gotten work. away they with all, it if all, it wasn't. All, half of them got killed. Yeah, if they wouldn't have tried to uh, do that whole dumping the radioactive reactor onto the planet, they probably would have gotten away with it. They just got too <clears> ambitious. <throat> well, and so these guys are just going to dump a reactor overboard. And are they mathematicians? Are they good with astrophysics? So nope. they, they know exactly the speed that they need to drop it off? Because it's not going to fall straight down. It's, it's going to be in orbit, just like the Enterprise is. So when it drops out of the back, it's going to be going at the, whatever speed the Enterprise is in its orbit. And then the, the, re, the, the, the reactor is going to, to eventually start going down. But it's like when they weren't 100% sure about where the space station was going to go. The American uh, space station that, that came down. Um, yeah, you have to know a lot about where that's going to land exactly on the planet. So good luck that, you know, you pinpointing that to hit the uh, prison. Right. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, obviously they it's didn't because when they story. did open the doors, it just somehow flew in front of the Enterprise and smacked into its hull. Yeah. So uh, obviously they did not have it all mapped out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because well. it's not like McCoy kept them from opening the doors when they were planning on opening them, right? He All he did was, after they put in the sequence, started fighting them, and then it opened up and and did exactly what they were planning on it doing. But it, unfortunately, it just uh, didn't didn't do anything except damage the Enterprise even more. Right. And gave the opportunity for Corcoran or whatever to oh, yeah, yeah. sacrifice himself. Yeah, I didn't like that part. You like you didn't like it? I thought I thought that was um it put a little lump in my throat. I mean it was it was it was that, <clears throat> but it was just like why so how did he get into a shuttle and they just let him go? Like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, well somebody oh, had to do it. Do you want to take the the extra protection? No, no, no. I'm I'm good with I'm the cool. suit. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, here's the, here's the keys to the shuttle. <laughs> wouldn't it have made more sense if somebody on the Enterprise uh, took a shuttle out and did that? I mean, they were right there. Right. Yeah, they're all, like, watching from the window. <gasps> rather than having Look to come up. Guy. Exactly. Rather than having to come up from the, uh, from the surface. And another thing is, it's got maneuvering thrusters. I mean, you could easily move yourself away from the... From that hunk of metal, right? I mean, unless it was somehow clinging to the side of the ship. I mean, I didn't quite get that. Whatever. Yeah. I don't think you're supposed to get it. It just, it happened. There you go. It's, yeah. L- kind of like the next story. Um, so mm-hmm. we, we got to see Chekhov. So um, the first panel we see Chekhov, he's with Scotty on the bridge. And it's like, he doesn't. Scotty doesn't call him Chekhov, but then you look at the face, and it's like, oh, the hair looks right, and that does kind of look like Walter Koning. Is that, is that Chekhov? And then, indeed, later in the story, Chekhov is mentioned. So it's like um, his, his, uh, his dialogue doesn't have any Russian accent stuff thrown in there. Yeah, which is good. Yeah, 
Well, it well, it's not. A- why is it good? I don't not know. Sometimes, sometimes they uh, go overboard. It's, it's kind of hard to read. Yeah. Okay. Well, so his dialogue is just looks like straight, you know, generic English. And, True. Um, so yeah, you, you can understand it, but uh, anyway. But of course, he's got a blue tunic too. It's like wrong gold. Um, anyway, and nobody wears gold tunics in this universe. No, not at all. Annoying. And why? Okay, so the British Empire had red coats, right? And uh, so some soldiers had like red coats, which always struck me as odd. You're, that's a great target. Um, and then I think they also had blue, I mean, depending on the time period, I think they also had blue, uh, uniforms. Um, but I guess they never had gold uniforms, so that's why they don't <laughs> have gold uniforms you think in that's this? that's why they're doing it? I, I'm trying know. to find a reason. Uh, I don't know. I guess maybe because so much of the background's already gold that they would just Not show up wa- as, as wash easily? it. Yeah, okay. that's what I always thought, but yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just making it up, too. Okay, that's fine. I, I think that the red shirt looks better which I think is why in the movies and on going forward they always put the main cast in red it does it, one of my favorite uh, the motion picture uniform it's one of my favorite uniforms it looks great but it's not I mean you're a target <laughs> but whatever so uh, I saw them use the term warders for prison guards and I had never seen that word before so I just it's a British thing. I, I assume it's a British thing. However, uh, we use the word warden for the guy who's in charge of a prison. So I'm assuming warders is, are prison guards. So I assume that's all, you know, British terminology. And if in, in in the states we bring over the word warden, why didn't we start using the term warders? I don't know. I just thought that was odd. Yeah, it's too many. Too many syllables. We got we got guards. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, what exactly are these prisoners doing on the planet? I mean, it looks like they're hard labor. Yep. With jackhammers and stuff. Exactly. Uh, not very much like the enlightened uh, future that we hear depicted on the show. Yeah. Right. Isn't there only like one prison? One prison in the whole galaxy that. Uh... That um, what's his Izar was on? Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Didn't they make a big deal that this was like one of the only ones because there was no crime in the future? Yeah, everybody's so happy and and well adjusted. Um, so you don't have to imprison people. Of course, why we have a brig, I'm not quite sure then, but okay. Um, on the ship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hard labor, man. These guys are hardened prisoners. Hard labor. Yeah. The whole idea of a prison planet made me think of Alien 3 with the, with the Fury 161 prison planet. Oh, was that but the they didn't. They didn't do a lot of hard labor, though. They were just maintaining the, the, the metal works and stuff like that in case they ever needed to use it again. So was that the one with Sigourney Weaver? Yeah. At all, uh, everybody's... Uh, shaven, all the hair yeah, off. All bald because of the lice. Yeah, the lice. Okay, right. Okay. What a great, what a that was a feel good movie. Sure it was. David Fincher, one of his first movies. 
I didn't like that one. Yeah, I, I liked the the novelization mm-hmm. really well, and then I don't, the book, the movies, okay. Yeah, the uh, extended cuts, the better version. And of course, that was before seven or after seven. After seven. Uh, the movie Seven, which Fincher also uh, before, did. Before, before. Yeah, this was one of his first movies. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, he'd, he'd made, like, music videos, and then this was, like, his first movie. And then, oh, he started in I didn't. I didn't know that. And then okay. he wanted to take his name off of it because he felt like he didn't have any control over the movie itself. Right. Okay. Which was a bold move to kind of piss off 20th Century Fox like that as a first-time director, but it worked out for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anywho, any more else about twenty three? Uh, no, nothing else. All right, I'm ready to move on. If you are, <laughs> I'm ready. And let let's move on to the best one, shall we? Save the best for last. That's what I always saving say. Saving the best for last. Okay. So this is storyline twenty four, and it is a it is covered in issues one hundred one through one hundred five. Uh, weekly issues, and they ran from August 28th, 1971 to September 25th, 1971. And again, same artists. Don't know who wrote this, but oh my gosh, I'm interested in knowing. (sighs) Okay, so issue number 101. As the Enterprise is traveling through the Perseant Alpha system, minding its own business, the shift changes to the night shift. And Mr. Scott takes over the con from Kirk. Spock, Ohura, and apparently the entire rest of the bridge crew head to their quarters for a good night's sleep. All alone on the bridge, Scotty feels a vibration in the ship he has never felt before. And being the engineer, he should know. A high-pitched whining also starts, then gets gradually louder and louder. This phenomenon is felt all over the ship and not just the bridge, so the entire crew is affected. And eventually, the entire crew is knocked out. 30 minutes later, the crew wakes, awakens and starts to investigate what happened while they were all apparently put to sleep. They find most of the ship's systems were turned off, except for engines and long-range sensors. Uh, the book referred to them as probes, long-range probes. Ahura reports navigation puts them six million miles away from where they were when they all passed out. They say they are approaching planet Zeltok, and Kirk wants to find out how they could have come so far so fast. Amazing. The answer may be on Zeltok. Spock agrees, but informs the captain that according to the computer records, Zeltok was destroyed by inner explosions 800 years ago. Da-da-da! End of issue 101. Issue 102. Kirk asks Uhura to contact Starfleet to double-check the ship's records, but there is no response. Sure enough, after all the ship's systems are back online, they calculate the current date based on their star positions. Spock reports they are 800 years and two weeks in the past. Spock says 
There was no record of contact with Zeltac before its destruction 800 years ago. So they have no idea of, of whether there is sentient life down there or not. They take a shuttle down to find out. The shuttle flies over a cluster of big tan-colored spheres. They descend to take a closer look and are almost swatted out of the sky by a Godzilla-sized ant that explodes out of one of the spheres. They continue on conjecturing what people might be like if ants are so huge on this planet. They finally fly over the ruins of what could be humanoid-constructed stone buildings. They land to take a look, but a blue-shirted shirted blonde guy you never saw before in the crew screams a warning as a huge insect destroys a building like children's play blocks as it comes for the landing party. End of issue 102. Issue 103. The giant insect comes after the landing party and picks up one of the red... Sh- uh, I'm sorry... I mean blue shirts, with a mighty claw. Kirk shoots the huge insect with a surprisingly effective, for once, phaser, which causes the beastie to drop the blue shirt. Spock dives at the man to keep his head from landing on a boulder. Good job, Spock. They get back to the shuttle and take off again. Further on their flight, they see a group of gorilla-like light brown colored primates. They hover over the creatures long enough to determine that they are not intelligent enough to strike up a conversation with. However, the creatures start to wave at the shuttle buzzing around overhead. They follow the waves to what appears to be a fortress with walls and fabricated doors of heavy-looking wood. They descend and spot a green-skinned humanoid that bids them to land in Federation Standard. End of issue 103. Issue 104. The shuttle lands in front of the bearded humanoid that is flanked by the tan-colored primates. Kirk goes out alone to speak to the man. He introduces himself as Karn, the last survivor of the once-proud race that ruled the Sphere. Kirk offers to take Karn off the planet before it is destroyed in two weeks. Before Karn can respond to the offer, the apes sound the alarm. The giant ants are attacking the fort. Karn explains it's the huge ant creatures that destroyed his race. They will, they will not stop until they've wiped out himself and the primates that he now lives with. The gorilla creatures start throwing huge boulders down on the ants closest to the fort walls in a valiant defense. Kirk and the landing party lift off in the shuttle and use the handily equipped missiles to blast three ants, but they are just but there are just too damn many of them. They could use up the limited number of missiles on the shuttle and barely make a dent in the huge attack force. End of issue 104. Issue 105. The landing party flies over the army of giant ants while Kirk weighs his options. Kirk decides to make a show of force and launches half of the shuttle's complement of missiles. A fraction of the army is taken out. Kirk decides the battle is lost 
and decides to pick Karn up and leave the planet. They return to the fort to find Karn refusing to leave his primate friends. He will fight with them to the end. Some of the ants come around the back of the fort and have learned how to throw boulders of their own at the fort. One of the boulders barely misses the landing party and causes them to scramble out of the way. Kirk orders his men to grab Karn if he needs to, but they are out of here. In the confusion, Karn was able to grab one of the blue-shirted red shirts' phasers and is not leaving. He tells Kirk to go. Kirk and the landing party leave Karn and the primates to their fate. Back on the ship, they break orbit and move away from the planet. The all-too-familiar vibration and loud, high-pitched sounding returns. When the rough ride ends, they find themselves back in their own time and place with no memories of Zeltak or Karn. They are just left with the mystery of an injured crewman and a missing phaser. The end. Da, 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 da. I don't even remember it saying that the guy was still injured. It just says that he was missing a phaser. I know, but I added that. Uh, okay. Because that makes sense. I mean, I mean, yeah, so, so they mentioned the phaser, but come on, the guy's injured too. How did he get injured? Hello. So, yeah, but they went back in I time and he's not injured anymore. Duh. Uh, then why isn't the phaser there? Duh. Because they left it in the past. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> but they returned. Duh. <laughs> okay. So obviously this story is for the young, just to give you some eye candy and some adventure, and it makes no stinking sense at all. Right. Yeah, I was really disappointed. I love the giant ants. Uh, uh, there was so much of the story that I thought was really cool, and then it was just the ending, just like, okay, now you just back to where you were and you don't remember so it feels like the whole episode was just you know, meaningless right meaningless. You didn't, stupid didn't do anything nothing happened there's you don't remember it and it's over right yeah so how did you go into the past how did Magic. that happen okay was Karn did Karn bring them back into the past no doesn't look seems, like it he seemed surprised they were there exactly and what technology did he have? It, that it seemed like he didn't have any technology. He's got right. his he's got his uh, Moses robes on, and uh, did he have a staff? I'm not quite sure. And he's got the Abe Lincoln beard, and you know, uh, there, there doesn't seem to be much to, in the way of technology except maybe pulleys and ropes to pull the you know, the, the the doors up and down. Um, oh, by the way, the. Uh, <laughs> Did you notice that the uh, the the wrong uh, NCC number registry number is up is back? Uh, B again? It it looks more like eight. I know I missed it. Uh, yeah, so this is this is at the very end. So at the bottom of the last page, you see very clearly on the side of the nacelle NCC seventeen oh one dash. It looks like an eight. Not oh yeah, B. you're right. It does look dash eight. It's like no, that's a shuttlecraft. Oh, <laughs> that's so weird. Is that I mean, weird? Because he got the Galileo right in, in all the panels I saw. Yeah, even number seven. Yeah, so, well, don't you get that shuttles? I know. The extra no, number? one time the 
the shuttle does have an eight at one point too. Oh, does it? Yeah, on one page has eight at the top and then seven at the bottom. Okay, well, I see. <laughs> it's the last page of one hundred three. Okay, well, the last oh, yeah. page or into one hundred five. There's a very clear shot, and that shuttle is NCC seventeen one. So it, they're all over the place with this. Okay, well, there's multiple panels where it's very the shuttlecraft is clearly NCC seventeen o one, the dash one. Right. Dash one. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay, so you mind if I talk about uh, warp drives and how fast warp factors are? Please, go for it. Okay. So when they were making... So they were out for 30 minutes. And they traveled 6 million miles in under 30 minutes. And they seemed completely wigged out by that. How could we travel so far? And it's like I was thinking to myself, six million miles, warp speeds are very fast. That may not be that fast, really. So I went ahead and actually began to try to calculate things based on the uh, you know speed of light and stuff. Because and, I knew that warp factor one is the speed of light. And then I was like, you know, I'm old. My math skills are not good. So I went ahead and did a search on... Uh, and I found a warp speed chart, which gave me everything I needed to know. Sure. So um, it turns out, using the warp speed chart that was posted at www.stinsv.com, that warp factor 3 will get you 12 million kilometers in 17 minutes. Now, 12 kilometers is... 7,456,000 miles. So that's easily, you know, that that's more than 6 million miles. And you can do that in 17 minutes uh, at warp factor 3. So uh, if this chart is correct, and that's a big if, um, there's nothing surprising about the speed or the distance that they, they traversed in the Enterprise. Right. But can you do it that fast in one second? W- one second? Who said one second? Or however long they're... Well, they were out for 30 minutes. I mean, they, oh. some, somehow they knew they were out for 30 minutes. Okay, 30 minutes. So 30 what? minutes is the max time that they... that, that You know, that, so it, it had to happen under 30 minutes. Well, who knows? They could have traveled it in a second and then sat around for 29 plus minutes. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm I'm using 30 minutes because that's all they know, and I don't know how they knew that they were out for 30 minutes. But I guess ships chronometers. I guess they got they got clocks. They got well, yes, fine, okay, fine. You're right, you're right. So they were out for 30 minutes. Um, yeah, easily they could travel six million miles. Hmm. Excuse me, sir, but what you're failing to realize is that at warp factor three, you can go 12 million kilometers. There you go. So are they 12 million kilometers or miles? Well, twelve billion, you can go 12 million kilometers. Okay, follow with me. I'm repeating myself now. So 12 million, 12, 12 million kilometers equals 7.4 million miles. Okay. Which is even further than the 6 million miles that they quote in the book. Gotcha. So 
There but you go. not time travel. That's, wow. that's, that's the thing. You know, 800 years in the past. Okay, okay, fine. But the first thing they're marveling at is the distance before they figure out they're in the past. Right. So they're, 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 they're time traveling as well as distance. They're, it's a TARDIS thing. So I didn't have a problem with that because I didn't do the math and, and research. What I did have a problem with was that Spock knew to the day what day the the planet was going to blow up. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's 800, Eight, 800 it, years and two, two weeks. weeks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We've gone 800 years and two weeks into the past, and that's when uh, – so the inter- the thing's going to blow up in two weeks. That I is, was just like, what? That is mighty precise. I did like the use of Fortnite because I don't think uh, any generation in the future is ever going to know what Fortnite is except for the game. Uh, the game. <laughs> exactly. Which yeah. I did. I was like, I was like, I played Fortnite and never does two weeks come into play. <laughs> yeah. What? Why? Where did they come with the, with that name? Well, you do build forts, so okay. And I guess the original game, you're supposed to build forts to keep zombies out, but nobody ever plays the original game anymore. They only play Battle Royale. So I'll ask my kids if uh, if there was a two week, if you're supposed to stay stay alive for two weeks, or what? What? Maybe there is some sort of logic in the name. Okay. What What else is there to say about this thing? This no, story? I like the giant ants. I thought the giant ants looked cool, and yeah. I like the idea that they were just gonna. Their goal was to wipe out every bit of life on the planet. Oh, my God. So like this it. is because you're a kaiju fan. And aliens, and they kind of like we're both. He's like, what if aliens were, were giant ants? <laughs> <laughs> well, aliens already have that ant mentality thing or ant uh, analogy. You know, they're very analogous to ants. So Okay. I liked yeah. it. I mean, I like that idea. And, and I did think it was funny that there's just one dude left, and he's controlling monkey people like like those little teardrop guys were controlling the the cyclops right well yeah but they're yeah yep yeah, yeah so, so these that, yep. so these giant ants are able to wipe out his entire civilization and why are there so many of these ape guys around yeah it's why just, did the ants not kill them or as many of them because there probably right. were a bunch of the ape guys i mean is this like is this like the furthest point from where all the ants were? So the only reason they survived this long is there weren't as many ants around. But now, oh boy, here they are. They finally caught up. Right. I don't know. Don't know. And so was it like a was it like Q or a third party that brought the Enterprise back in time to see if they could help before this this little planet ends up being you know, at least uh, two species, probably more species, but at least two species being wiped out by this dominant species of ants. Right. It's like, what? Yeah, and then when he refused to go, I was thinking, okay, well, he's going to somehow, like, give them a, a data disk or something so that exactly. the history of his people exactly. wouldn't be lost in time. But no, they don't even do that. They're just no. like, I'm not going to go. And, and then they go back and they don't remember him anyway. So it's just like, it served no purpose. Exactly. If you're the last survivor of an intelligent race, at least you'd want to be, you should leave to at least tell your people's story to somebody. Exactly. And, and, and continue it on. Um, but no, that, no. Nope. 
he wants to stay, and uh, and nobody's going to remember him. It was basically one of those stories where it's supposed to, you know, it was like it was very much like a Q episode where Q sends you to the inter- sends you to another place where you're not supposed to be, right? To do something, but then you didn't do anything. Nothing happened. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't like it. Yeah, the ending ru- ruined the whole story for me. Yeah, it's like we're not going to explain anything. Just get used to the idea. I, I right. hated that. Yeah. So, have you ever you've I'm sure watched the movie Rosemary's Baby? Oh God, a long time ago. Yeah. Well, it's based on a book, and then the many years later, like thirty years later, the person wrote a sequel to the first book okay. called Rose Rosemary's Son. So I read oh. both of the books because I I, I kind of was into that for a while, and and in it, remember this is like a thirty year gap between these two books, and I'm going to spoil the end of the book for you because it was it's the same thing. Okay. In it, at the very end, the devil right because he that's her son is the the devil now the antichrist. Okay. He's taking over the world and they're taking an elevator down into hell. And then it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And then Rosemary wakes up and she's like back in the 60s and she tells her husband, I had the strangest dream. Oh, my and God. And that's how it ends. And you're like, baloney, you took 30 years to do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad. I mean, I didn't read them in the 60s and, and stuff. So for me, it wasn't 60 years but or 30 years. But my goodness, I would be so mad if I was a big fan of the book way back when. And then and then they pulled that on me at the end. Have the guts to follow through, jeez. But that's how I felt on this book. Yeah, that's, it was like, all right, well, we we pulled the. It's a joke on us for reading it. Yeah, you thought we were going somewhere. We're not. Nobody even remembers it. We were pranked. We were yeah. whatever. Yeah. Do you know my favorite part of the book? Hands oh, down. Uh, you have a favorite. Okay, Go. I have a favorite part of the book. It's when Scotty, it, huge head Scotty, is riding around. On the Enterprise. Between the nacelles? Between the nacelles. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> so for those of you that, that maybe somebody's listening to this, um, there is a shot where, for some reason, they decided to show uh, Scotty speaking to Kirk and company that are on the uh, on on a shuttle. And so he's speaking to them. For, but for some reason, they don't want to show him on the bridge. They decide to show his huge Scotty head. Between the nacelles, on the outside, out of a shot of, of the outside of the ship. And and by the way, in this shot, it's NCC-1701. There is no extra number on it. Um, anyway, I just thought that was an interesting artistic uh, choice. Yeah, no, I thought it was funny, too. I did think it was also kind of cool the shuttles have mini-missiles. It doesn't really make sense, but uh, I thought it looked cool. No. I mean, phasers, fine. Phasers would make sense. But missiles? Where are you going to put them? I mean, the, you said mini-missiles? They must be mini-missiles, because where are they? Yeah, don't, they actually call them. Oh, they call them low-yield missiles, not mini-missiles. But still. Okay, well, thing. whatever. I mean, the main. I'm just saying from the standpoint that shuttlecrafts are not large. I mean, if you saw, I mean, I mean we've all seen. The taws and... shoebox, sure. It's a shoebox. And the, 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 
it's just enough room to have like eight people on the inside of the ship, and there's like no room for mechanics. So where are they putting these missiles? Makes no sense. I mean, it's not like it's the Delta Flyer or something. Now that was a that was a badass shuttlecraft. Yeah. So a weapon that is fed by energy, a phaser, makes a lot more sense than trying to equip it with missiles. Right. Yeah. Anything that takes ammunition right. doesn't make sense. Exactly. Ah, let's see. Okay, so what what exactly blew up Zeltok? The planet. The planet. Yeah, what blew up the planet? I mean, all he's so. Okay, so this is another example of lazy writing. All you know is that it exploded, and what what did Spock say? Uh, internal explosions. Okay. Internal right, but I don't explosions. think the whole planet explodes because he recognized the continents. So he, uh, so the continents must still be there in the future. They're just not inhabitable, from what I what I took it as. So maybe there was some sort of the planet doesn't exist. But then, how did he know in in the future? Well, in the in the current timeline, the planet does not exist. It does exist. It has to because he it uh, he recognized it the land masses. He's I don't. Like the land I, fit, fit I di- the exact. I disagree with your interpretation. I'm going with what he said. How does he well, know what the land masses looked like 800 years ago when they also said the Federation never existed? Well, exactly. Lazy writing. <laughs> Lazy writing. Okay, so well, okay, so was this Vulcans? I mean, or some other spacefaring species that's been around a lot longer? I mean. Yeah, so the Enterprise, uh, the Federation's only been really out of the solar system for like 120 years or something like that. Not Mm -hmm. that long. And so how, and they say there was no contact with Zeltox 800 years ago. Well, yeah, no, duh. I mean, we weren't even, we didn't, we weren't even flying back then 800 years ago, at least Earth. So, is he talking about records that came from the Vulcans, from the Andorians? I mean, what are you saying? Um, anyway. Yeah, well, I hear what you're saying, but I'm telling you, when when I read it, and I was putting the beginning of the story and the end of the story together, I did not take it that the planet was destroyed, that it was just somehow uninhabitable. But yes, I don't know what caused it. Right. It just happened exactly 800 years to the date. Well, exactly. So, uh, blah, 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 blah. I guess it would be really seven years and 50 weeks to the date. Or 752 weeks. Okay. Whatever. You get yeah. my point. Anyway, it's but, ridiculous. And I'm just going over what Spock, off of what Spock said. Uh, it says it was destroyed, Captain. By inner explosion 800 years ago. And then if you look at the very end, and I didn't mention this in my synopsis, but in the very end, <coughs> when all the all the, the shaking starts and then the, the high pitched whatever and they, they got thrown back into the back to the future, um, something's exploding. And it's going really big explodey. Like Yep. So I don't know. Or is that the time tunnel where they're traveling back through time? I don't. Who knows? Uh, yeah, you're thinking about it too hard. I am. I guess so. 
Okay, yeah, so here's another thing I'm wondering about before we wrap up, because I, I think we're running out of gas. Um, so Kirk is there with shuttlecrafts that have missiles. Yeah, right. Um, and he, he determines, well, I can't, I can't blow up all these ants. Why didn't he even think of calling up to Scotty and saying, Hey, Scottster, do you want to go ahead and uh, shoot some phasers to disintegrate at these coordinates? Yeah. Um, right. I th- I think it w- was it actually. Um, okay, so they, at they the very least, the you know, one, right? In the original show, where he calls down phaser fire from the sky. Yeah, oh yeah, they they do that. But I was going back to the cage. Uh-huh. So uh, I forgot the the blonde haired crewman who's the helmsman. I think. So they're on the planet, and he says something about. Direct the ship's power on the thing. That's enough to blast half a continent. Okay. Right. So, and there's multiple examples of this. Uh, Bread and circuses, where it was the Roman thing that had TV cameras and stuff. Um, In that one, the bad guy was conjecturing you could probably wipe out all life on the surface of the planet with your ship. But you're not going to do that because, ha-ha, the Prime Directive. Anyway, there's multiple examples where the Enterprise is powerful enough it could take those ants out. Sure. No problem. Or just stun them. Can't, haven't they done a stun from orbit, too? You could do that, but that wouldn't solve much. It would just, they'd stop the attack until they woke up again. Right. But whatever, the whole plan's going to blow up in two weeks. Or okay. apparently not two weeks, yeah, only well, a couple hours. Unless the story took place over two weeks. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. I, like I said, I didn't like it. Yeah, we're with. Yeah, you're beating a dead horse. I'm beating a dead horse. Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay, that's all I have to say. Oh, oh, one, one last thing. Sure. They're flying over in the shuttle, and there is somebody says, "Keep your eyes skinned." For the signs for signs of habitation, ooh, skinned. Yeah, I mean without lids. Ugh. So <laughs> now, now we're of course we're all at least people in the states we're all used to the te- the term uh, eyes peeled. Yeah. Now that's just we just say that we don't even think about what it really means. Peeling your eyes, peeling your eyes. If you really think about it, it's gross. And then you see a word that has a similar, a different word that has a similar definition. Uh, skinned. Keep your eyes skinned. Oh my God, that's gross. Anyway, <laughs> I guess it's another uh, UKism. Probably. Probably. Anyway, that's it. That's it. I'm done now. You done? I'm done. Oh, actually, the <laughs> seventy. So Spock is talking about the ship's records on Zeltok. And he's actually got a metal kind of like binder in his hands. So yeah, he's, they, have, they had that in the show, right? Not that I ever saw. Oh, okay. I thought he was always, Kirk was always signing something that well, was like a metal Kirk, binder. Kirk signed, yeah, Kirk signs things that, that the yeoman gives him to sign. So, yeah, but they don't show paper. And this right. doesn't show paper either. But still, you can look at it. It looks like a binder. You know, the plastic. Well, it has... Something with tabs and stuff in it. Exactly. Like, exactly. It's like a three-ring binder. 
It looks like a three-ring binder with tab dividers that we're all used to working with. Not so much now because we actually are a little bit further along to the paperless future. I mean, I don't use paper nearly as much as I did when I started working longer oh, ago yeah. than I than I care to remember. Absolutely, yeah. PDFs, baby, PDFs. Um, but uh, anyway, I just thought that was ridiculous. It, it, gotcha. Fine for the set when, when this was created, but then in hindsight, it's kind of ridiculous. Agreed. Okay, that's it. Now I'm done. Now you're done. So what are we doing? Right. What are we doing next week or next time? I should say next time. Well, I said we start beating more dead horses. <laughs> <laughs> I will be surprised that that Kirk shirt is red. Yeah, next week too. So we're gonna do more classic UK uh, Star Trek stories, right? And we're going to be doing issues uh, twenty-five or stories, I should say, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven. Right. Which these are in a new comic book or a new magazine so publication. These, yeah. Oh, a new magazine. Yeah, well, I think it's a continuation. Because this one was in TV21, and then the next set is in Valiant and TV21. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. And it's a different artist, so maybe the shirts will be right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actually, cool. looking at the looking at on uh, Memory Beta, they have a little panel from the comic. And sure enough, Kirk's wearing gold. Nice. Nice. They're finally going to get it right. Okay, at least the shirts will be right. Or at least Kirk shirt. Right. Okay. Cool. All right, cool. I'm looking forward to that, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll be back in the next episode. See you next time on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.